Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Nori with you. J.B. Handley with us. Uh, was an honors graduate at Stanford University, co-founder of the Swander Pace Capital, a private equity firm with more than a billion dollars, $1.5 billion actually, under management. He's the co-founder and chairman of the Generation Rescue, which is a not-for-profit organization focusing on helping children recover from autism. That was inspired by the journey of his son, Jameson, who was diagnosed with autism back in 2004. JB has also started a podcast now called How to End the Autism Epidemic, a couple of his books, How to End the Autism Epidemic, and also Underestimated. JB, welcome back, my friend. How are you and the family? George, doing great. Always a pleasure to be here. Looking forward to this. A lot of people still don't understand autism, what it is, what it's like to live with an autistic child. And I hope we help them a little bit understand this, because it's really important, isn't it? It, it is indeed. And I think what's hard for people to appreciate is that there's, they call it a spectrum. I prefer to refer to it as a continuum. But on the outer boundary of that continuum, you could have somebody with a autism diagnosis who's at college, fully verbal, independent and living a near quote-unquote normal life at the other end of that continuum you could have someone who practices a lot of self-injury can't speak can't take care of themselves fully institutionalized and yet both both have the autism label attached to them and this the reason i'm here is the approximately 40 to 50 percent of the children and young adults diagnosed with autism who are what we call non-speakers, meaning they either cannot speak at all or they have very unreliable speech. Those are the cast-offs of the autism world, mm-hmm. and I think every parent who has a child with an autism diagnosis has a challenging time. But there's about three to five million just in the states alone who are non-speakers or unreliable speakers. My son happens to be one of them, so I'm speaking firsthand experience. And in the last 15 months, I've simply had the most extraordinarily positive and hopeful thing happen with my son. What happened? (laughs) To put it in the the most simple terms to start this conversation, my, my wife and I believed, and many other autism experts concurred, that my son, who had very, very limited speech, still qualifying him as a non-speaker, you know, basic words like, I want juice, or go shower, that kind of thing. We believed that his speech and his cognition were related, and that he would start to talk more once his cognition improved. Um, The general feeling of people in the autism field was that non-speakers are mentally deficient, cognitively impaired, you know, pick whatever language you want to pick, and, and we subscribed to that. The truth was that we didn't know what went on inside our son's brain. We didn't know how he saw the world, how he processed it, whether he felt love, whether he had dreams or ambitions, how he thought about his future. We had no way to communicate with him, and we were, we were given guidance that he was impaired in those areas. And people would say things like, oh, the mind of a four-year-old. They'd use these different, you know, different age ranges to try to guess what was going on. And I got a phone call out of the blue from a mom who had a son very similar to mine, and she started sending me this extraordinarily complex language that her son was typing out on a letter board. And I thought, well, that's impossible. He has autism like my son does. Right. And 
he was doing something very new and novel called spelling to communicate. And the basic premise of spelling to communicate, and this is just so important, I don't feel like words can describe what I'm going to say right now because it turns the whole idea of autism on its head. But basically, the spelling to communicate people claim that autism is not a cognitive disability. It's a motor planning disability, that the part of the brain that's injured is, has nothing to do with intelligence or thinking or anything else. They can't get their body to do what they want. They cannot move their body the way they would like. They can't move their eyes, they can't move their mouth, and they can't move their fingers. And what spelling to communicate does is it moves the movement for the child into the gross motor part of their body, the shoulder, to basically point at a simple alphabet letter board. And what the spelling to communicate people assert is that these 40 to 50% of the kids with autism who have been cast off, who are considered mentally deficient, are actually brilliant and they're trapped inside bodies that they have a very hard time moving. I was presented with all this information. I didn't necessarily believe it. But I got on an airplane the next day, and we flew to a place in Virginia called the Growing Kids Therapy Center. Mm -hmm. And we sat down with the woman who invented this method, Elizabeth Vossler. And she sat with my son, and she looked at him. And this was about now 15 months ago. And she said, Jamie, I know how brilliant you are. Wow. And, and I know that you've been having a very frustrating time because you haven't been able to tell anybody that. And I was blessed with the ability to speak, and for whatever reason, you weren't. So I'm going to teach you a way to communicate with us so you can show everybody how smart you are. I'm sitting in the back of this room. I mean, I'm already crying, right? Yeah, I was going to say, you've got to be in tears when you're hearing oh, this. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an absolute mess. And, I'm, I'm, and she, she picks up these letter boards, and they, they, in spelling to communicate, they teach these lessons. And they basically read a paragraph on some topic like the solar system or mm -hmm. Abraham Lincoln. And then they ask the child to spell the letter. And they, it's a very gradual process, like going from training wheels to riding a bike. And I'm sitting there watching within the first two hours, my son spell words perfectly that I didn't even, I didn't even know he could spell. Oh, wow. By the, by the second day, she's doing a lesson on carnivorous plants. And she asks my son... Jamie, what's the opposite of carnivore? And I'm like, wait a minute, that word was not in the lesson you just gave. The opposite of carnivore was not in there. He doesn't know that. Jamie spells out herbivore, giant smile on his face. And I'm, I'm just absolutely dead to the world at that point. And I'm starting to think about my friend who called me and told me about her son, who was maybe three months into this. And so I, I spend a couple days at Growing Kids Therapy Center. We get these letter boards. We go home. My wife and I practice like crazy. A couple months later, we're in San Diego working with another spelling to communicate practitioner. We call it S2C. And my dad's with us this time, and Jamie's getting better and better on these boards. But so far, all he's been doing is spelling words that, that are in the lessons. So he's basically mm -hmm. doing rote kind of spelling. They're doing a lesson on the Boston Red Sox when they won the World Series in 06, and I'm listening along, and he's spelling Fenway Park and Jacoby Ellsbury and all this stuff, and <laughs> I'm a diehard Yankee fan, so I'm barely enduring this lesson. And we get to the end of the lesson, and this practitioner turns to Jamie, and she says, Jamie, what did you think of the lesson? And I'm like, oh my God, that's a, that's a question with no known answer. That's an, a request for an opinion. You know, what's going to happen? 
you know, in this moment, I look over at my dad, and we're both sort of on the edge of our seat, and Jamie spells, the Sox won, but the Yankees are champs in my family. I and, love that. In, in, I mean, I was in, dead. in compliment to you. I was, I was dead to the world, and that moment was about 14 months ago. He was aware of things that you never knew he was. He was tracking everything the entire time like any normal person. And I've since had 14 months of growth with Jamie. And what we've learned, because he co-wrote a book with me, is that he's extraordinarily brilliant. He's aware of everything. He's funny. He's sarcastic. He loves life. He has joy. It's been a revelation like nothing else. And the most important point, the reason that we put it in a book, is that Jamie is certain that those other three to five million people who are non-speakers with an autism diagnosis are exactly like him. There are people who are prone to say, well, Jamie's one in a million, whatever it might be. And Jamie's saying, no, mm -mm. we're all in a prison of silence. It's because um, our bodies are not our friend. We can't move them the way we want to. And people mistake that for a lack of intelligence. Now, the boards that he used, why couldn't he just simply write these things out, too? So that's fine motor, okay? Your fingers and keyboards and iPads and everything else. And when you sit down with the spelling to communicate people, what they explain, kind of showing it on a brain map, is the fine motor and the communication are right next to each other, and that's where there's some impairment. And I, Jamie explains this to me now, now that he can communicate with me fully and completely. And basically, when, when he's being asked to do something with very fine motor, it's very hard for him to get his words out. It's almost like asking somebody to speak or think while they're in the middle of a dead sprint. Like, there's just, there's only so much your body can do. Mm-hmm. And for him, the demand of a fine motor and the ability to bring these words out of his brain and out of his body is too much. And so the brilliance and the simplicity of spelling to communicate is that you're literally pointing at a letter board. And, and although your finger's involved, what you're really moving is your shoulder. And the gross motor does not tax the cognition anywhere near as much. I see. And I know that sounds really simplistic, but because of the depth of the motor impairments, that difference is enough for them to all of a sudden flow and be able to share their words with the world. And that's the theory behind spelling to communicate. And then Jamie affirmed it for me. Um, and I'm able now we literally carry a letter board around and I can talk to my son like any child that I have how big, I can get immediate feedback from him. How big is the board? Uh, it's an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper. Oh, that's, that's not bad. Okay, that it's is not nothing. Bad. It's nothing. Um, and George, what's so fascinating about this whole experience is how profoundly controversial what I'm telling you right now is. You are a good-hearted normal person with a, you know, casual understanding of autism, if you will, who thinks this is great and wonderful. What's actually happening behind the scenes is the autism industrial complex, the ABA therapists, they are fighting this as hard as they possibly can. They are denying that it's the children who are doing the spelling. 
they are demanding they get removed from schools. It is a that's crazy fight. That's because and they haven't come up with this. It, that's a, not just because they haven't come up with this, but the entire premise of ABA, which is the only recognized insurance-supported therapy for autism, they they it's based on a premise that the children are cognitively disabled, and so this literally flies in the face of everything they have taught and been teaching, ABA therapy is a behavioral therapy where they basically try to get the kids to conform to the way us normal people sit and act. Look in my eyes. Don't flap your hands. Well, what I'm learning from Jamie is that for someone like Jamie, whose body often can't be controlled by him because of this motor disability, he views ABA as torture. He says, Dad, people who do ABA are mean-spirited now. I don't know if that's wow. true, but I've met many now non-speakers with autism who spell. To a person, they talk about how torturous. ABA looks a lot like dog training when you watch someone doing it. I don't know yeah. how else to put it. And so the conflict that we're experiencing, even within his own school, is mind-numbing to someone like from the outside when they're like, wait a minute. This child has finally had their voice liberated, and you have teachers who won't acknowledge what they're doing. You have teachers who won't be in a classroom with them. In my son's case, when the letter board was introduced to the school, and you know, we demanded that he be able to go to school with a oh, sure, partner, absolutely. Um, we had a whole group of teachers who were ready to quit. Unbelievable! And it's a microcosm for what's happening nationally. Um, as more and more of these letter borders, and there's only maybe 1,500, 2,000 of them now in the U.S. out of this number of 3 to 5 million. But what's happening with them is miraculous. They're proving to be all eloquent and amazing. And I call it the autism industrial complex is fighting tooth and nail to deny these kids a voice. How and can they deny that it's not working? What What they say is that it's a Ouija board. They say that it's the communication partner who is doing the words. And so they take this angle of, hey, we're just trying to protect this child. You, the parent, you, the the communication partner, you may not even know you're doing it, but you're you're the one communicating on their behalf. And that's, that's what they say. Now, that's absurd and easily disproven in one really simple way, which is that a percentage of these kids who start out on these letter boards, they actually keep going over years because it takes a long time to develop the skills. Mm-hmm. They end up on keyboards typing independently. That's right? amazing. And then you ask these children, how'd you get here? And they say, the letter board helped me get to this point. This communication partner I had who worked with me helped me get to this point, And now I can do it by myself because of neuroplasticity and the myelination of pathways I'm now an independent communicator. And what I say to all these idiotic doubters who are getting in the way of these children is, how many of those kids do you need to prove what you're saying is wrong? But, George, I'm not kidding around. The American Speech Hearing Association, which is the governing body of SLPs, which are speech-language pathologists, literally came out a couple of years ago and, and told their SLPs, do not engage in spelling to communicate. And um, basically cut it off from families for insurance. And Unbelievable. 
yeah, the person with an SLP designation in my son's school doesn't even acknowledge my son. I mean, can you imagine for 17 years having no capacity to communicate? How cruel and mean could they be? It's, it's insane. It's insane. And they need to be called to the carpet. They need to be called out. There's a They need to be fired, all of them. It's, it's unbelievable. I mean, if I had my choice, I'd go into my son's school and fire every one of them. And, and by the way, meanwhile, there are many heroic teachers in my son's school who do not have ABA training or SLP next to their name who have been extraordinary heroes. But they've had to do so with a tremendous amount of conflict even within the faculty. And it gets worse. My son's school, which is a very well-intended school run by some very good people, if they don't have 60% ABA faculty on staff, parents can't get their insurance to pay for the school. Uh-huh, I so they see. have a little bit of a walk on the industry. And meanwhile, here's my son. Fine. My, my, what happens, George, in the autism world, when you are a non-speaker, over time as you get older, and my son was 17 when he started doing spelling. And, and what percent, again, do not speak? Somewhere between 40 and 50%, which equates to somewhere between three and, my, three and five million American children alone. And at what point, JB, does the autism really start taking effect? When they're born, or does it develop later on in life? My son was diagnosed at two. The average age of diagnosis is roughly four and a half. Um, So that's kind of the typical progression. But they might have had it when they were babies. You just don't see it. Is that possible? um, You know, there's, there's a huge debate about causation. Right. All the Um, vaccines, all that. So who knows? Yeah. And there's never been any proof that it's genetic. In my case, which is the only thing I can talk about with conviction, my son was developing perfectly normally and regressed at approximately 14 months. Many other parents have similar stories of regression. Why the regression is there is obviously a source of massive controversy. But at the end of the day, um, you know, by the age of four, four and a half, the signs are pretty obvious. And then it's really around 9 or 10 where, where parents sort of reach the conclusion of whether speaking or non-speaking. Did right? he, did he again, cry as a baby? Absolutely, yeah. He yeah. did. Normal baby, and I have an older son, so I, we were pretty familiar with developmental milestones by then. Um, so, yeah, he absolutely did. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.